want to welcome everyone to our latest episode of Win 2020. I'm Makashin. I'm Ross. And we want to welcome Republican Party of Wisconsin Chairman Andrew Hitt to the program today. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, first question, pretty simple. How's your side win Wisconsin's electoral votes in 2020? Yeah, great question. So really, uh, it all begins and ends with the grassroots army of volunteers. Uh, you know, I've talked a lot about 2018 and what went wrong, what went right. I think, you know, uh, in 2018, there was less emphasis, less focus on grassroots volunteers and grassroots organizing. We course corrected in the 2019 Hagedorn race. Uh, and really, really focused on grassroots volunteers, making sure they had the tools and the resources they needed. Um, so we're doubling down on that. We've started earlier than we've ever started before. Uh, we um, usually, we start to staff up in February of the election year. We brought on our state director for the presidential campaign the last week of July. We already have over a half dozen regional field directors in place, only have a couple more to hire, uh, already have field organizers in place. So we're starting early. We're not just thinking about what we're going to do. We're not just planning. We're actually executing already. They're doing trainings day in and day out every week. They're recruiting more volunteers. We're just hitting the ground running. So you were on the state executive committee in 2016, and you guys pulled off sort of the unthinkable. Uh, Trump became the first Republican to win Wisconsin since 1984. That's despite this sort of being the birthplace of never Trumpers. And you had a very prominent Milwaukee talk radio host sort of hammering on Trump every single day. How do you think Trump pulled it off? So I, th I think, you know, one thing we have to realize is the Democrats did not focus on Wisconsin, right? They took Wisconsin completely for granted. Um, so that's first and foremost. They're not going to do that this time, right? They are coming to Wisconsin. They're having their convention here. Um, so they're not going to take Wisconsin for granted. Secondly, I think the president, like he did all over the country, tapped into this movement, tapped into this feeling of, you know, just... Um, unhappiness with where politics were, where politicians were. They wanted somebody, people wanted somebody who just spoke to them, spoke the truth, just, you know, brass tacks. Um, and he resonated and connected with voters in a way that I think people didn't think was possible. Um, and that's how he pulled it off. I think, you know, going into 2020, uh, we, you know, saw the most recent Marquette poll that just came out. Looks pretty good for the president right now. Question. Um, so in 2018, Senator Baldwin took 17 counties that had been that were won by by Trump mm -hmm. and flipped them. Is that because Senator Baldwin was such a good candidate? Was it because Democrats are energized to go vote and independents are turning against Trump? Um, a combination of both. What do you think? I think it comes down to really how Wisconsin is such a purple state. Um, we have, it's hard for people like the three of us to understand, but we have people in the state who were Walker Obama voters, right? They yeah. weren't on the ballot at the same time, but you can, you, you know, through the polling um, that you have Walker Obama voters. I think, you know, you probably even had Walker Baldwin voters. Um, and so 
you know, Wisconsinites, when they look at who they're going to vote for, it's very much a personal decision. It's a relational decision, relationship decision. Um, and I think they there's a good swath of people in Wisconsin that kind of evaluate each candidate on their own, on their, on their merits, right? And that's why we see such swinging back and forth. Um, so, you know, it doesn't surprise me that we see some of those counties, um, you know, flip back and forth like that. So let's return to the Marquette poll for just a second. There's a couple aspects, Andrew, that I want to ask you about. The first being impeachment. It would appear to me like that is not resonating in Wisconsin. More than a majority of the people don't support the impeachment uh, of the president here in the state of Wisconsin, according to that poll. But more importantly, independents in particular, 55% of them do not support it. So to the extent Democrats are trying to make a national case. They're not doing quite well, very well with uh, independence. What's your thoughts on that? I think this is sort of sort of that kind of classic overreach that we see Democrats do kind of time and time again. We saw it in the Hagedorn race when they overreached. Um, we've, we've seen it in other races, uh, especially in Wisconsin. Um, Democrats have been talking about impeachment since the day the president was elected. So now it's, they've talked so much about it that now, even if they do have something, people have heard this story over and over again, it just falls on deaf ears. And I think you also saw in that poll, I don't know that people, um, I I don't think the issue is really resonating that much with people. Um, They haven't read as much on it. They haven't uh, looked at it as closely, but that's because there's all this noise for so long about impeachment that, you know, they they just kind of have overreached on it. And I think you look at, think about the headlines yesterday or or in the last couple of days, right? So yesterday was when the, um, the Republicans went into that closed door hearing. If you look at the headlines, it's Republicans stormed the hearing. <laughs> so then I'm watching TV last night, flipping back and forth between Fox and CNN, and I'm, I'm seeing all the video, and I'm like thinking, that's storming? I think it's probably Republicans slowly shuffled into the hearing. So there's all this theater going on, and I think people are just kind of sick of it. So the poll director, Charles Franklin, on this impeachment question was sort of impressed at how many of the respondents had actually read the transcript of the call between President Trump and President Zelensky from Ukraine. But when you dig into the numbers, you realize those are the partisans. Yes. Three quarters of independents had not read it. Yes. They didn't care. Right. Well, did they not care? I mean, not to to debate. Oh, jump in. But, you know, um, it was 51%. Right said impeached and removed from office, which is a traumatic, which would be a very traumatic event that has never happened in the history of the country. So I think that while I do understand where you're coming from with the numbers being under 50 percent, people are supporting the idea that it should be that there needs to be an investigation. And I guess like in terms of the, you know, the challenge I think that the Republicans are having, you tell me what you think, is the longer there is a discussion about the actual actions which happened, which which happened that do you think that that's more problematic when it comes to independence going away from the republicans obviously the trump plan is to just talk to the base for the most part mm-hmm. democrats need to be invigorated for democrats to win and you know despite my question going on longer than the hearings will go on do you think that the longer this drags out is more problematic for republicans or more problematic for democrats 
I think probably it depends a little bit on if something else comes out. Um, but I think if the fact like if you shoot somebody on, <laughs> I was thinking more in the closed door no. hearings, the secret hearings. Yeah. The se- I'm sorry, the secret yeah. hearings yeah. attended by 47 different Republicans <laughs> from three different committees. The shady uh, secret hearings. Let me ask yeah. you this: Was it shady when when uh, Trey Gowdy threw Daryl Issa out of this out of the out of one of these hearings during uh, the whole Benghazi go around in 2015? I, That's a question. For I'm going to let you answer <laughs> his question, but I will just say. I think if you're going to impeach a president, you need to do it in broad daylight. What? Okay, that's fair. But how do you how do you account for the fact that when that the investigation of Clinton with Ken Starr went on for months and months and months behind closed doors? Like how you know? I mean, again, if we're just you know if we're going to just be fair about the conversation, months and months and months went by. This particular hearing, it's three different committees, 47 Republicans who all get to ask questions. And one of the reasons that they said that they were doing this was because... I think you asked the right question of Andrew, and that's, does this have an impact? Plus or minus for Trump or no difference at all? So my inclination is not much difference. Uh, Unless something else were to come out, then maybe that changes things. But we all know what occurred on this phone call. Right there. Not only do we know there were 13 other people listening in to this phone call with the president. (laughs) 13. If you're going to commit an impeachable offense, you're not doing it with 13 people on the phone. So we all know what has happened here. And if there was a there there, then why don't we have a vote? That's what's so perplexing about this issue. It's really just theater. Nancy Pelosi has found a way to have her cake and eat it too, right? She gets to have these hearings so that she appeases her base. She gets the left riled up, but she doesn't do the vote. So she protects the people that are in safe districts. It's not a bad political move on her part. So from a planning standpoint, um, again, back to the independence on this impeachment question, Donald Trump won the third congressional district in in Wisconsin. By five. That's held by a Democrat, Ron Kine. Right. Uh, He's been careful not to get too deep into this impeachment thing. But if there is an actual vote uh, and he votes to impeach, uh, you know, does that become a targeted seat for you in 2020? Yeah. And I would say it's already a targeted seat. Um, I've been to the third district. Man, you know, I might have been to the third district more than any other district since being chairman. Um, I've been there a lot. Uh, We've focused on that as a potential pickup. We're really actively working uh, on solidifying our candidate. Um, I think that, you know, Representative Kind is is vulnerable. Uh, Trump won it by five. Uh, the seventh, just north, Trump won by 20. The same thing we see. His largest margin in the state. That's right. Same thing we see in the in the seventh. We're seeing in the third district. It's becoming redder, and that's because Democrats they are disconnected from rural America. Well, let me jump in ahead of Scott one more time, uh, and that's the fresh faces question. We are going to have two open seats in Congress for the first time in my lifetime. The seventh congressional and the fifth congressional. Both of those are red seats primarily. So, what impact do the fresh faces and new blood on the ticket? have to the top of the ticket to the president. And I would say, uh, first, before answering your question, I would say those congressional districts are probably the fifth and the seventh, the two one, two of the most important districts to the president in this state. Yeah. We need to overperform in the Wow counties. We need to overperform in the Fox Valley. We need to overperform in the seventh. Um, the fresh faces, um, 
I think it really gives us a chance to energize our party, energize our base. There's a lot more going on there now. There's a lot more activity. I think we we know that the Democrats are you know scared of the seventh, or they don't they don't want um, you know the uh, election to occur on d- the general election day. Tony <laughs> Evers has done everything possible to make sure it does not occur on that day because he doesn't want it to impact the Supreme Court race. They have no chance of winning the seventh. Um, we know it's going to energize our people by having this activity. So I think it's in in large part it's going to be a bonus for us. Because we just talked about the seventh and third, I'm going to push the fifth away for just a moment. Sure. The impact of a couple things. One, the fact that 1,700 farms have closed since Trump took office. Second, the fact that uh, the, uh, Sonny Perdue came here and said that small farms can't, can't continue. What is, when, when the Democrats put that on television, and I'm going to assume that unlike in 2016, that there will be television ads <laughs> about the presidential election from the Democratic side or the independent group. You'd think they might do that this time. <laughs> I do think it's, I think it's possible. Yeah. I think it's, now, I haven't seen any memos, but I'm just, <laughs> sometimes you just got to go with your gut. Like right. George W. Bush, I'm going with my gut. Sure. What, how do you counter what will be an easy message for the Democrats to put up to farmers across Wisconsin? So... You know, I, I grew up in rural Wisconsin, grew up working on farms. I think my first job actually was picking rock out of fields. Um, so I get I get the issues. Farms, family farms have been under stress for a long time. Uh, commodity prices have been basically stagnant for decades now. Um, so, you know, th- those farms being under stress is not a new thing. And the, you know, the message to, you know, rural Wisconsinites is really this election comes down to a choice. Uh, You have a choice to choose a president who believes in capitalism, who believes in freedom, who believes in borders, who believes in economic opportunity, prosperity. Or are you going to go with a president or a nominee who believes in a government takeover of just about everything, more government in your lives, whether it's health care or any other topic, the Democrats are really pushing this narrative of socialism, democratic socialism. And I think when you put that choice clearly before the people, they are going to choose historic history. They're going to choose kind of what traditionally America has been. They are not going to choose to change the very fabric of our country. So let's talk about the horse race matchup in uh, the Marquette poll. It shows a slight tightening. Uh, in their summer poll, the late summer poll, they had uh, Biden beating Trump by nine. Now they have him by six. The margin of error of the poll is a little over four. So uh, it is tightened considerably. Ha- having said that, it does not appear that the shady business dealings of Hunter Biden in Ukraine have impacted Biden within the Democratic primaries. Now got a seven-point lead over Elizabeth Warren and a 14-point lead over Bernie Sanders. So where do you see the horse race? We asked Governor Thompson this in one of our earlier podcasts. Who do you think is the toughest matchup for Donald Trump in the state of Wisconsin, and where do you see the race heading? Well, I think first, you know, the the polls, especially this far out, even as we get closer, they're just, they're, they're hard right now. I mean, the Marquette poll, very well-respected poll, but it had the president down by six. 
on November 2nd, 2016. It did. You know, I mean, it, you think about that. I mean, it's just a huge miss there, right? Um, so, you know, overanalyzing them, I think you got to be careful of, you know, right. you know, counting on them and you got to be careful discounting them. Right. Um, in terms of the horse race of the Democrats, um, you know, if the Democrats are going to continue to down this narrative of, of really government control, um, then I'm not sure that it really matters which one it is. And I really think this election, at its core, it's going to be an election about how much government do we want in our lives. Legitimate, it's a, it, it is a legitimate topic to debate and, and yeah. have different views on, right? But I think that's where this is going to come down. How much government do we want in our lives? Right now, pretty much all the Democrats are talking about, you know, this you know, government government involvement in our lives, this democratic socialism. I thought it was really interesting in the last pre, uh, uh, Democrat presidential debate, you did start to see the narrative change a little bit. They were talking less and less about this, and some of them were even pushing back, and there was a little infighting amongst them. I thought that was the missed story by the media in that last Democratic debate. Do you, um, so you're not, so you're, there's not somebody that you would of the leading candidates on the Democratic side, there's not somebody you wake up a little bit sweaty about at night and there aren't ones where you see them rising and you're like, oh, good. I mean, I think, you know, they're all going to have pluses and minuses, right? The race is going to be a little bit different depending on who it is. But right now, if they're going to continue down this narrative, then I think the choice between the president and what he believes, his record of accomplishments, and what the 2020 Democrats are talking about is going to be very clear. I still think Biden's probably the strongest sell here in Wisconsin, but having watched him in three Democratic debates, I think he's old and I think he's tired, and uh, that's going to be a challenge for him. Yeah, and you, you brought up Hunter Biden. Who do you think better that the Trump campaign should send here to decry nepotism in government, uh, Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka, or Eric Trump? <laughs> I think all of them are great surrogates. Let me ask you my last question for you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, relates to the DNC. And it's. I, I think you and I would agree that that's a great thing for the state of Wisconsin. Anytime Absolutely. you can have a national convention here, it puts the spotlight not only on the city of Milwaukee, but the state of Wisconsin. So how do you use that week to your advantage to let the national media know Trump's going to take Wisconsin again in 2020? Right. Yeah. I think it's a huge opportunity for us uh, that the DNC is here. Uh, it gives us really an opportunity to contrast our views with their views, right? Um, the Democrats really haven't had a history of turning a convention location into ballot box success. I think that's what they think they're going to do here. They think they're going to get all these volunteers. They're going to have so many volunteers. Yeah, Hillary's was in Philly and it didn't work out for her. Right. right. I mean, it, they just don't have a history of that. So for us, it presents a wonderful opportunity to present our contrasting views. For me personally, for the party, we want to highlight every single crazy thing that they've said along the way to knock them off their message. We don't want, you know, it's a convention is very scripted, right? Um, they're going to be, you know, trying to implement that perfect message. My job is to disrupt that perfect message and tell Wisconsinites and the American people who they really are. Um, and I'll the final question, because we haven't we haven't talked about him, I don't think, is, uh, you know, the leader of the Republican Party currently is Senator Ron Johnson. How much damage do you think he's done to his reputation here amongst independents by the way in which he's handled the impeachment 
um, and the way that he sort of went back and forth um, and was sort of, you know, was the focus of media for a while. And again, these things happen in very small cycles. But how does he, how does Ron Johnson emerge after that to try and talk to any independents in Wisconsin to tell them to go out and vote? Well, I think for the Republicans. Yeah, I think if you look at that, that, that poll that just came out, it doesn't seem like impeachment is getting traction among the, amongst the independents. So I probably just disagree with the underlying premise that he actually did um, any significant damage to himself. Um, I guess time will tell. Um, but, you know, Ron has done a, a, a great job as the senator. Uh, he's done a really great job um, becoming more involved in the party since the 2018 election. Um, he really, um, really stepped up and was a calming hand in what could have been a very tumultuous time for the Republican Party of Wisconsin. A lot of people say Trump won here because of the strength of Ron's organizational effort. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. Um, you know, we, back in 2016, we watched uh, through our data program, watched the numbers change and watched in October how those numbers for Trump and Ron changed over time. And actually, we were able to pinpoint the election within a couple tenths of a point. We want to thank uh, Republican Party of Wisconsin Chairman Andrew Hitt for coming on today. We uh, hope you'll be back sometime in the next 12 or 13 months to Absolutely. give us an update on the status of the race. and. We all know that uh, presidential races change quickly, and uh, we'll know more after the Wisconsin primary on April 7th. So thank you for coming on. This has uh, been another episode of Win 2020 Wisconsin with uh, McCaution and Ross. Um, by all means, if you have ideas for guests, tweet them at us at, at WIN2020WI. Um, Till next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>